My name is Matt Brown. Oh, brother, this guy stinks! I see we got some haters in the audience, but guess what? I'm the man, and let's start the show. You read the Bible, Greg? Yes! Oh, there's this passage I got memorized. Sort of fits this occasion. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. The world is a better place because you are here to join us. My name is Matt Brown, and I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. And we are so happy to have you join us. New friends, old friends, but most importantly, the Productive Conversations podcast audience. What's up, my friends? It is Monday, May 10th, 2021. This is the 72nd edition of the Productive Conversations podcast, and I am so happy to have you with us. So, before we get into the fun stuff, just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasting platforms and YouTube. To check out exclusive content regarding this show, go to ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com and see what we have to offer whether it's the entire archive of every single podcast, every single video podcast we have done, the links to all the podcasts and platforms we are part of and our YouTube page. We also have a merchandise store. Thanks for our friends at Zazzle. And you do want to get some of the merchandise before the summer begins. We have great apparel for summer. We have flip-flops. We have, you know, bucket hats. We have all great things to get ready for the summer. And you definitely want to rock the Productive Conversations merchandise as we are preparing for the summer. Also on our site, you could check out our blogs. You could check out my resume. You could check out everything about this show on the site, ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And you can also check out our social media links, whether it's Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast, whether it's TikTok at Productive Conversations, whether it's Twitter at ProdConvoPod. We have so much great content on all social media platforms that you do not want to miss. So it's May 10th. I went back to Bridgeport this past weekend to get my COVID shot, and it wasn't so bad. You know, again, the nice, smooth process, thanks to the amazing people down over at the University of Bridgeport where I got my COVID vaccine, and specifically the Yale New Haven healthcare system to set it up. I got my shot. It feels good. My arm feels sore. But, you know, I felt a little lousy, but all in all, I really was fine. We got through it, and now... That's it for my chapter in the COVID-19 pandemic. I do officially become fully vaccinated next Saturday, May 22nd. A convenient time since the tri-state area is lifting so many restrictions a few days before. And yeah, it just feels good. 
it's been an insane 14 months, both personally and professionally, as it is, has been for everybody. And now that I have this chapter of my life behind me, the COVID vaccine, while continuing to socially distance, do the right thing, and continue to do my part to help people's safety, it just feels good that uh, this this intense chapter was over when when I was at an interview down in the West Village of Manhattan, and you heard the ruckus going on, and I talked in my interview about the COVID virus, COVID-19 virus, and and I was just, uh, I, I you know, there was a flood in my uh, room, actually, right? Where I live at home, I'm a, my bedroom is right across from the uh, boiler, and the boiler leaked, and I s- slept on my own couch for two weeks, and sleeping on that couch, waiting for the interview, waiting to get my career back on track, and then you just kept hearing more bad news and things were getting scary. And then the night the NBA went on hiatus and Tom Hanks announced he was diagnosed with COVID. And then you knew that we were in for the long haul. That 14 months later, through so much history in my life, history in the United States and history of this world, it is nice to finally see so many people get vaccinated in this country. We still have so many places to continue to help and try to get through the COVID pandemic in our world. I mean, you know what countries are going through a rough time with it and our thoughts and prayers that they will get through it. And now it's over for, for me personally. I know there's so many people who still need to get vaccinated. Some So many people need to get their second vaccination, but at least for me and for hopefully my children listening to this someday and my grandchildren, that's what's great about these podcasts. They really don't go away. I just want to say it was some time. It was a stressful time. It was a time of reinvention and reinventing myself and making a comeback while still going for my goals in life. And sure, I've made mistakes, God knows. And I still try to learn from them every single day to be the best person I can be. But at least when it comes to this point in my life, the year the pandemic hit when I was 25 and 26, it is just very nice to get to this point where I got that second shot. I got through it. And I'm just so happy and proud to hear about so many people who are getting vaccinated, who are doing their part to end it. We respect the people who want to take an alternate route, but at least in terms of getting past this insane time in our lives, it's nice to see that we can get out of it. We shall overcome and we will see better days. And today proves it. Two days after getting the COVID vaccine, Today proves that there are better days ahead, even in the absolute darkest, scariest, and worst times of our lives. And with that, I can now focus on a new chapter. I can keep growing the show. I can get back into the production field. I can do my best to be a better son, a better brother, and a better friend. And now we do our part to pass it on, to show people's potential, and... On to the next chapter, and let's make it a good one. So, that's it. On to the next chapter. So, how do we start the next chapter here on this show? Well, we have a very, very deep 
a very funny, a very special, productive conversation. And who was that with? My great pal, Alex Ronelio. He is an artist. He's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. And he is one of the most talented individuals I have ever met when talking sports, art, movies, podcasting, radio, and other interests in this world. This man's got it. This man is Alex Ronelio, and we're going to learn about the Going Places Artist Collective and nonprofit organization he co-founded to help starving artists trying to get their big break. We talk about his brand as an artist. We talk about the murals he has created. I We've seen over the past decade so many murals pop off in various cities across the United States, and Alex is somebody who has experience actually creating them, and we get into that. We also talk about sports. We get into the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and we really have a great time. And this was definitely one of my favorites. It really was. And I think it'll be one of your favorites. So let's learn about Alex Ranelio. Let's show off why he is the man he is. And let's learn about this talented individual. Alex Ranelio, it is your turn. Let's get to it. today is one fascinating individual in all aspects of life and most importantly in the storytelling and art communities this man is so talented so delightful to be around and such a great time and vibe and i really really had a goal in mind at one point to have this man part of my show because he's so fascinating so let's start another classic episode let's start another classic podcast with a legendary guest alex ranello's part is here and welcome to the productive conversations podcast alex what's up buddy hey hey hey, man thanks for having me oh man thanks for being here alex seriously you and i met at the university of hartford and from the start I knew how fascinating of an individual you are, and you're especially an individual. And I can't wait to show off how much of an individual you are. So starting with everything, man, I just want to know, how have you been? How has the beginning of a year started already five months in? How has life been for you? Talk to me. What's going on? Yeah, man. Um, 2021's kicked off pretty good. Uh, Last year was chaotic for everybody, I'm sure. Um, same for myself as well. I was finishing my master's at UHart um, in the uh, the communication school and working, you know, 60 hour weeks. So things were a little mm. hectic, but a uh, nice little turnaround this year. I've been, you know, predicating more of my time on my art and, um, you know, my artist collective and, uh, uh, you know, collaborating with some local businesses and a lot of other grassroots organizations. So it's been, it's been productive thus far, man. Uh, I, I can't ask for any more. That's what I love to hear, Alex. Absolutely love to hear. So before we get into the Going Places Art Collective, which Alex is a co-founder of, and we're going to be very interesting. I'm very interested to hear about that entire story as well as the audience. But talk to me first. Like I said, you're an artist, plain and simple, and a very talented one at that. First, 
Can you just talk to me about your brand as your your own personal brand as an artist, what you specifically do in terms of art, whether it's a painting or illustrating or animation? Um, talk to me about what the Alex Ranella brand is as an artist. So the brand itself in concept is it's called the Alexander California brand. And really it's just kind of culminating a, a lifestyle. So when you go to the shopping mall or you go to any other store, you know, you're looking to buy an experience and that's what the brand of my artwork is about. You, you want to be able to kind of capture everything that you're seeing depending on what media, you know, um, that you're dispersing your content over and really capturing it in like two or three images two or three words and mm -hmm. uh and that's what i try to go for you know it's just um it's just a relaxing kind of summertime vibe lots of fun lots of great energy optimism you know belief in yourself believe in your community and others and kind of just spreading that and making it infectious you know to other people talk to me about that optimism especially like that really sticks out and i genuinely find you as one of the most optimistic people around even through the most difficult times what makes you so optimistic in your life and how do you transition that optimism into your art as you were um hitting on before if you could just expand on that would love to hear it yeah man it's actually a question that uh kind of runs deep for me especially as of late but um yeah just kind of you know re-centralizing the questions of our time right now on the individual and how you know it's the individual's responsibility um on the basis to improve our world around us and if we can kind of narrow in on the answers to that question first in our own lives and then really project that out into the community it's just going to be like i said an infectious energy on the rest of the world you know in this culture we live in it's very easy to play the victim across any just just any part of our landscape and to kind of you know take the negative opposite effect of that for good is just a great it's just a great feeling and it's really reciprocated itself in a lot of the people that i work with in my network and so on and so forth i really like the the main, the special word you really hit on in your answer for me was individual. And I find you are that and created an originality for that. And I feel like as we have more opportunities to create content, create art, tell more stories, I feel a lot of people should really focus on, in my opinion, is creating that own image and creating that own, like I mentioned the word brand specifically. And like whatever you know our mutual friend the great gabe mills once said you should to me specifically you should it, i was talking about being fascinated by actor leonardo DiCaprio, and then he said you should really just focus on being the great matt brown and that really stuck in my head and i use it for the rest of my life and i think that's really added to my confidence going into the world does that relate to you as well creating that individuality and being comfortable in your own brand as alex california slash alex Ranella? Of course, man. Of course, man. Be better than you were yesterday than someone else's today. And that really like is something that I stick to. Um, it's kind of a hallmark that I kind of look to every morning when I wake up and kind of get that cloudy consciousness um, that, you know, that shroud that we wake in every morning. Um, that's kind of what I, you know, wake up to is be better than you were yesterday. Don't compare yourself. Don't compare yourself to someone today. And that like is really, really big for me because it's so easy to get, you know, caught up in how else, how else, how well else, uh, excuse me, um, <laughs> everybody else is doing um, 
or not doing for that matter. And it's very easy to get that, you know, in your mind and stuff and really take it other places, but to just focus on the little things that you can control every single day, those things accumulate, you know, and they, they compound. And over time, if you just do that for years and years, um, it's going to make you a tremendously better person. And I love to hear that answer. And I think you really in, instill that and in, in prove that, Alex. And just for just to focus a little more on your artistry and just for the people who are introduced to you, what type of art specifically do you go for? And maybe you'll probably hit more on this when we talk about the artist collective. Mm-hmm. But like, are you more of a painter? Do you create murals? Do you um, do you animate? What specifically do you do? And do you have an Instagram or a place where we can find your work to see your artistry? <laughs> perfect, perfect segue to a plug. Yeah. So <laughs> my Instagram is my uh, pretty formal grounds for my content. Um, my, my, uh, my handle is AB Reniello. So it's, um, it's up there. It's on Instagram, mm-hmm. but yeah, my, we have that know. in the episode description as well for anyone interested. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So you were saying, <laughs> um, yeah. So my training back to college was, um, you know, oil painting. I really focus on portraiture and, and, and figure work. Um, and then when I got out of school, I kind of, you know, dabbled in a few other things, tried some new, new types of work. Um, right now I've been on a real mural kick. There seems to mm-hmm. be a huge precedent for public art and yeah. you know, a forum, a, a really large scale forum to speak out and project out to the world during COVID and during the pandemic while people are so restricted. So I've kind of allowed that to kind of carry myself um, for the past year and a half now. And uh, it's been immensely rewarding, but I do try to co-align my, you know, my gallery work, you know, exhibiting and showcasing and, you know, as a working artist as well, making commissions both publicly and privately for small businesses and, um, and families alike. So. Yeah. I mean, you all have to go to that Instagram page. You should see some of the stunning murals, whether it's around the city of Hartford and West Hartford, Connecticut. I seen you do a mural once for, I believe a medical office, if I could get correct at some point. Um, or maybe it's elementary school. Um, I'm trying to get yes, this top of yes. my head. Elementary That's what school. it was. Yeah, the north end of Hartford. Yeah, we did um, uh, Breakthrough Elementary. Excuse me. That's the one. Absolutely stunning. And as you mentioned, we're pretty much in a nice phase and era of the, the, the mural, as you mentioned. We've seen whether in the major cities, um, as you mentioned, as we just talked about, you've done in the, the Hartford community. And when you're creating these murals personally, you know, on these large scales, on these buildings. Could you briefly talk to us about how that actually comes together as we've seen so many murals pop off everywhere in the, in our country specifically, and, you know, all pretty much all over the world. Can you talk to us like how that process starts, how long it takes? I assume we, it's clearly not graffiti. So I'm sure, you know, you got permission for it. It's <laughs> maybe they used to, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, but how does that all come together in a large scale? Right. Well, it has to be orchestrated by someone from the top. And uh, luckily, I have an amazing project manager at CT Murals named Matt Conway. Um, Mm -hmm. CT Murals started as the passion project underneath the Rise Up Community Group. And the Rise Up Community Group is a 501c nonprofit um, here in Hartford locally that um, has huge uh, impact in the community, just like uplifting others through, you know, through the arts and community um, co-alignment together. But um, but yeah, he's been uh, immensely incredible, Matt, and uh, his team with CT Murals, uh, really orchestrating things, um, securing budget, you know, working with local businesses and different cultural councils and coalitions across the state, 
um, the different counties across the state have been immensely helpful in um, generating interest and spreading word and love. And um, yeah, it the, the typical the typical mural takes about six to eight months of preparation before we actually get our feet wow. on the ground and start painting. Um, it's a pretty it's a pretty lengthy process. You know, it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of um, revisions and um, insight and open for criticism. So, um, but it's immensely rewarding. Um, it's a really cool process and every project takes on its life of its own. So. Yeah. All right. All right. And after the six months of planning, six to eight months, and you're finally, you go to, we'll, we'll use a building as an example. They ask you to create a mural for how long does that process start? Do you just like go over? Do you like, do, do you just go right away? You, you make your masterpiece. Do you like <laughs> put, um, do you put like, do you white it out first and then you go and that takes a various amount of months. Can you walk us through the actual painting process once you get approval and your rights and everything? Sure. Yeah. So once we have, you know, kind of all the provisions and all the preliminary work on the back end done, um, we'll put down, um, you know, a clear coat or some type of, uh, um, you know, some type of primer depending on the surface mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, really make it, a workable surface, um, you know, kind of survey the landscape, kind of prep the groundwork. Um, and then we'll start moving either our scaffolding or our scissor lifts or our boot mm -hmm. lifts into the area, um, kind of zone things off, section things off. And the typical mural takes about two to two and a half weeks to paint, you know, more or less like the recent uh, three-story building I did in South downtown district of Hartford. Um, that took about two and a half weeks, give or take, uh, you know, all things considered. So it's, you know, it's funny because <laughs> it's like about six to eight months of preparation, um, you know, behind the scenes with, you know, allocating funding and doing a lot of business to business contact. Mm -hmm. And then once you get painting, it's, it's bing, bang, boom. It's two weeks. Look at that. Look at that. And then after the two weeks, a nice ceremony, then forever you make your mark wherever <laughs> you put that mirror. I very fascinating process. I, I got to tell you and the stuff you've done in your team, deserve a lot of credit for it and and it, does it is it cool just one last question on this when you're actually doing sure you know the painting of the mural and like you know whether you're sketching something out or you're painting in the characters being featured how does it feel like those cool moments you must turn around and say whoa look at what i'm doing is there any feelings of that that happen well it's funny because throughout the process there's a lot of little chaotic elements that kind of appear um, out of nowhere. And you kind of have to learn how to, um, manage, micromanage them and kind of problem solve on the fly. So it's very important to be, you know, modest and humble mm -hmm. through the process. It's, you kind of have to swallow your pride and, and be unafraid to reach out to people within a moment's notice, um, for advice on, you know, certain specificities like that. So I don't know how to really answer your question better than that, but I guess I think that my, my best advice for, you know, any artists getting into murals or people that are just at their early, you know, mid-career artists, um, you know, really be humble through the process. Take every project as its own, like you've never, like you've never experienced it before. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Alex. Now let's get it to, let's get it to your awesome endeavor you're doing now. So Alex is not only an artist, he's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. And with a few other artists, local artists in the state of Connecticut, Alex co-founded the Going Places Art Collective. Alex, talk to us, break us down, tell the audience, 
what the Going Places Art Collective is as a whole and what's your role in it besides besides being one of the co-founders and how has it been since you found this place, since you found this organization? Sure, sure. So the Going Places Art Collective, we founded back in 2018. Um, this is the first year that we're up in emergence towards attaining um, nonprofit status. So All right. right now we're really taking the initiative and the, um, you know, the, the steps necessitated for that. But um, we're really about three things, essentially um, opportunity, empowerment, and development, you know, opportunity in terms of generating um, sustainable uh, opportunities that are, you know, paid and rewarding for artists across the Connecticut tri-state area um, to the showcase their work, to sell their work um, in all different environments and settings, um, empowering them to continue to keep creating, you know, collaborating, collaborating with them on public initiatives and projects such as the murals that I've been doing uh, and then development, um, working with other, you know, organizations and businesses uh, collaborating with them to um, orchestrate events similar to what we do. So as a collective, you know, our primary goal is to, you know, is to rise up and, and uplift all these artists in, in the Connecticut tri-state area. And that means performers, musicians, local businesses, so on and so forth, and kind of create sustainable opportunities that are, um, that can be reciprocated for years and years and kind of creating the network that is so you know heavily needed and desired in our state that New York and Boston and other neighboring you know cities and states really have. So um, that's been immensely rewarding. When COVID hit last year, we took a backseat to kind of do a lot of internal revisions. You know, building our website, kind of rebranding. You know, shifting, uh, pivoting of our access and stuff. But uh, we're in a great spot right now. Um, we have a. Uh, show coming up in October with um, in collaboration with the firm Art Gallery down in Bridgeport. Brand new gallery oh, yeah. start, um, starting up in, in Bridgeport. And uh, the Rise of Community Group, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Matt Conway's been super instrumental. Um, so the three, um, us, us three, our entities are going to be collaborating for um, a live local art event down there in October. And um, yeah. Outside of that, we're just doing a lot of, um, you know, online advocacy, you know, sharing and promoting artists, um, you know, dispersing and distributing, you know, COVID resources related to, you know, artist empowerment and, and making sure that they have um, the resources necessary to keep their studio practice intact and continue to cre keep uh, creating opportunities coming in and out for them. So it's been a huge uh, rewarding process. I've met, you know, maybe a thousand people since we've started it across our state and um, we've just got an overwhelming amount of positive uh, feedback from people that have been involved so far. That's very inspiring, Alex. And that's very kind that you are showcasing these artists that you and your team are doing for that. And we greatly appreciate people like you who've done it. And may I ask, where does this generosity come from to showcase these artists? You don't necessarily have to do it, but your kind soul and the other people have is showing it and living the pass it on mantra i assume just talk to me about where's that kindness comes from to take the time to showcase all of these talented men women and people yeah i mean i can only speak for myself in terms of where that manifested for me but i felt like there was a huge you know desire you know kind of burning from the time i was in high school to the time that we were at college together mm -hmm. um especially in the artist community it felt like there was a real disconnect and there was a real you know um uh, a real sh you know um, like shark infested water kind of mentality yeah. of the artists kind of, you know, claiming, um, 
you know, ownership over, you know, certain environments and certain opportunities. And it just didn't felt, it didn't feel like the right environment that I wanted to continue my art practice um, and sustain myself. And, and it felt too insular, you know, it felt like, a lot of the other subcultures and communities across Connecticut weren't accurately represented. That were just as creative as the artists in the fine art community and the, you know, the craft art culture community that's at, mm-hmm. a, at a different level as well. So like, you know, like the, the brewery industry and the skate community and all these different, yeah. you know, subsections that have amazing, you know, creative potential and, you know, outwardly express that on a day-to-day basis they needed an outlet for themselves too. And that kind of infused itself um, into our process in creating the artist collective. And um, it's been amazing how many people we've, we've been able to reach, but I just felt that it, if I was going to stay in Connecticut um, for the long haul and continue my, you know, my art, you know, my passion and my career, I, I needed to have an environment that was going to be sustainable and, you know, environmentally friendly for, for the rest of the artists here in Connecticut as well. That's really that's really kind for you to say that and to keep other people's in mind. And it just shows how great of a person you are for that. And I think you and I really connect on showcasing people's talents and really making them believe in themselves. I think that's one, whether it's through, you know, content creation art, whether it's trying to start a business or being a musician. I feel like they are always that type of people like you and me, you and I, who will do whatever it takes to create these crazy ideas and make a career out of it and having the patience to do that as well. And I find so many people don't do that with that talent. And, you know, they, whether they want to do a more secure career path, there's nothing wrong with that. Do whatever you want to make yourself more comfortable in this life. But don't you really agree how much more we should emphasize on the risk taking? Mm -hmm. You really could, especially in the 2020s. And I get it. This world is a headache, but there really genuinely is decent people out there. I really believe that. Now I'm not saying give, you know, you know, don't have to bend over backwards for every single stranger in your life, but you can at least show that encouragement and show that you can, you could make things possible in this world. What, what do you think we could do, Alex, to really emphasize that? And that's one of the reasons why I also created this show is mm-hmm. My idea of it is the Tonight Show and Joe Rogan combined for the regular person. <laughs> I can interview celebrities. I really hope to someday eventually, even though even that's right. many years down the road. Right. But, you know, especially when I listen to podcasts and I really show that everyone really has so many similar stories and that status is just a status is really just a thing. Everyone's just a regular person. At the end of the day, even people with the highest influence and powers, they all just a human at the end of the day. What, what could we do to really show that you could really make some of yourselves and take the risk and, you know, use that young, whether it's that young and young gears we have to our advantage, but you really could be successful later on in your life with whatever you want to do. What do you think we could do to help emphasize that, that stuff and have people reach their potential? Yeah. Well, potential is the key word. I mean, that's something I've wrestled with since I was in grad school, you know, last year and the year before it's, it's, um, you know, it's the central thesis to your, the, you know, the theoretical question at hand with people who believe in individualism and people on that track that are driven as you, as much as you and I are and other creatives as much as well. It's about, I think my biggest thing is, you know, how can you, how can you spark that, 
that aim? How can you restructure someone's aim so that they can see where they're headed and where they want to go? You know, because like you said, everybody's, everybody's individual and, you know, a human to an extent, but it's, how can you unmask that potential? How can you, you know, how can you harbor that in a positive way? How can you, um, uh, manifest that for better and kind of unlocking that potential just comes back to, you know, the individual's aim. It's like, where do you want to go? How much responsibility do you want to bear? Do you want to burden and how much do you want to carry with you, you know, for the future? Because we're in the golden age of creative content, man. You know, yeah. it's, it's amazing how much the technology has, you know, um, shifted the paradigm in the past 10 years. And I think with the unlocking of podcasting, you notice that people have such a burning desire to just learn. I mean, yeah. and I don't mean academic learn from a textbook where it's so isolated from, from, you know, from human contact interaction, but like just learning. I mean, it's amazing. I, I can't remember who I was talking to this about. Um, it was another artist um, when we were wrapping up the uh, work on the mural a, a couple of weeks back, but it's amazing when you really think about you part and parcel, how much free time people have or don't have. And now with the, you know, with the invention of podcasts, it's like you can multitask like you never could before the way you would when you read a book, because when you read a book, you had all your focus and energy into reading everything on a page left to right. And now it's like, you can read, you can multitask, but people can use that found time, whether it's half an hour or three hours a day to learn. And I think that people are kind of rediscovering their potentiality with that. And they're kind of at a crossroads with, where they can really act on it. And I think that's why there's so much of an optimistic, you know, resurgence in a lot of people at an individual level right now. Dude, amen to that. I mean, honestly, the podcast what brings us together is it's really it's really my favorite it's the one thing that really changed my life for the whole especially for what i want to do with my career like i could still be a great podcaster while still pursuing my career production you can name the hundreds of actors who do it the producers the you know the comedians who've made the the realm and everyone of all walks of life what's so great is i can pursue this while still pursuing my ultimate passion and um uh, to be a producer and listen to the podcast and hear these stories. The ones particular, I don't know if you're familiar with what the fuck with Mark Marin, like that changed oh, I everything. Love Mark Marin's podcast. Dude. I mean, I have them on the wall of my main podcast. Right here. <laughs> oh, you got Stern up there. You got Bill Simmons. Oh yeah. I got great David Letterman on, on this the, side. The heavy hitters, man. Yeah. It's just being surrounded <laughs> by the people who inspire me while creating my own individual for that. And that's why I have this entire wall and this entire space with that. So, um, yeah, that, that podcast changed my life for the good. Now, Howard Stern is the big one that started it all and made me love the medium. But Mark Maron's podcast, I mean, he has any relevant figure over the, since the, you know, since like for the last decade, I mean, Sitting President Obama, Leo and Brad Pitt from Nicole Kidman or whatever. And like I said, all these famous people from all walks of life and you hear their entire and it's an origin story podcast is what it is. And when I heard all these stories, like, wow, these people are similar positions. I mean, I started listening to his podcast at the end of high school. That's what made me first pursue just getting through my career in production. 
And then obviously when things changed, it still took me the one thing that got me through the pandemic was the podcast. All when I when I heard things were shutting down, all I heard was I please have my podcasters continue to make work. And they did it that. And then I joined the crew, the the this industry in October. But like you said, the podcast is the thing where you can most importantly learn learn things get genuine information and also just assure that passion and hence why productive conversations. That's what I see a podcast, a productive conversation, even the silly ones when Howard Stern has, yeah, you're saying. And exchanging, you know, viewpoints, because I think the the important differentiating factor, especially with Marin's podcast that I find so, you know, so profound. I mean, with Rogan, especially too, is that, you know, he's diversifying, you know, his perception about, or, you know, his stance on, on, on a lot of different topical issues. Like Marin's not beholden to just interviewing comics. He's talking to yeah. politicians, he's talking to psychoanalysts, he's talking to, um, you know, actors and activists. It's like, it's a huge broad spectrum. And I think that people really need to kind of, I mean, they've already been doing it, but I think they need to continue to kind of, you know, take in all the, you know, absorb all people's perspectives and uh, personalities and uh, uh, really make, you know, judgment calls, you know, for the future, you know, in accordance to that, I really just taken as much information in um, because that that's the way, I, you know, approach anything in my life is I, I'm constantly, you know, seeking new information to kind of, um, you know, guide myself for the, for the day after that. So. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. The exact same thing. And I try to soak up as much information while using those people skills and professional skills to enhance myself as a person. And thanks to the podcasts, community and most importantly people like you and and encouraging to have that drive for it it just is the best of both worlds and we really can make something out of ourselves just have the patience not be afraid of rejection and it will happen one way or the other and you know going back to the artist collective and like i said encouraging and showcasing the potential of all these great artists in our area talk to me about how you find these artists, whether through submissions, whether through suggestions. And if there's an artist out there who's talented, and I know there is in this amazing audience, the Productive Conversations audience, (laughs) where could they present your work to show their talents? So a lot of the work we do on a day-to-day basis is usually through organic reach on social media. So we'll follow certain hashtags that are predicated, you know, geographically on Connecticut, the Connecticut, um, um, you know, uh, different business models and, and uh, the, lo- the locales where there's a lot of cre- creative content coming out of, you know, New Haven and Hartford and so on and so forth. Um, and then the other, you know, exchange in terms of bringing in new artists is word of mouth. So, a lot of the a lot of the legwork does um, you know takes on a life of its own in terms of other artists reaching out to other artists you know on behalf of uh, our collective and saying hey you know there's this great uh, little community you know this little niche up in um, in Hartford and they're doing some great work for the community if you want to be showcased and you know promote your work um, they're a great catalyst in the community um, so a lot of the work has kind of taken on a life of its own um, it feels like a lot of the other artists that were at the beginning with us in 2018 have be kind of become my hands, so to speak, um, which has been great. Um, kind of sending out the, uh, the positive waves of what we are trying to accomplish here. And, um, and yeah, I think I, you know, I, I think that's the most important thing is just kind of, um, constantly 
being in conversation with the community because we need to know what they want as much as we want um, in order for things to work. You know, we want it to really be a symbiotic relationship. How, can let me ask you, as we mentioned, both you have a business background and artist background. I believe you also not only for grad school for art, but um, do you, it's either, is it an MBA or is it um, communications or business background as well? You went for grad school, dual, dual uh, grad right. degree. So I got, I got my bachelor's in, in the fine arts. So I got a painting and drawing bachelor's degree with a focus in art history and ceramics as well. But that's, that's minutia. My, my master's was in marketing and advertising and I don't know if for better or worse, if this is a good segue or not, but um, my focus was primarily predicated on immense health and retail um, mm-hmm. in terms of um, applicability with, uh, with my degree in the, in the master's program. Um, so I did get a master's in communications um, at university of Hartford last year. And um, most of my work around my thesis was um, masculinity and art and how that transfers to the creative content that's imbued within retail and, um, and uh, men's health in terms of, yeah. you know, in, in terms of practical advertising. So it's kind of a multi-layered concept in terms of, you know, how it manifests itself, but it's very relevant to, I think a lot of the original discussions that we had at the beginning of the podcast in terms of like individualism and, um, you know, men today really trying to empower themselves through responsibility and positive, you know, motivation in the community. Yeah. That's, it's like, uh, how does, if I'm getting this right, it's almost like what you were working on and seeing, like looking at advertisers, how does, how does this one look get you to invest in their retail? Like one thing I've learned and with loving with and fall in love with films is how much beyond the acting, how much, the feel of production design or art direction or color correction and post really creates the feel that you're supposed to understand the characters are going through and putting you in that world. Was that something similar to what you were learning about? Yeah. I mean, those are a lot of the logistical things that um, are done, you know, in the world of advertising and marketing for, um, for me, I was kind of really, you know, trying to, you know, work up close and step back um, from, you know, retail and then the marketing industry and, and kind of look at um, how much, you know, like the, the online world and how these, a lot of these small companies were able to grow and transform um, predicated on different differentiation tactics in terms of how to understand the prototypical man. Well, not man, but you know, any, any consumer. So male or female for that matter across um, um you know, different, different fields. So it's kind of hard to explain in a nutshell, but I I think that, I think that the marketing industry now is so widespread and there's so many specific um, uh, uh, nodes of, of, of creating, you know, products and content nowadays Mm -hmm. that um, it's really easy to kind of hone in on an archetypal kind of um, character that you can kind of learn to understand on a second level of marketing. All right. All right. I like it. I like it. So you, you, you have the art skills, you have the business skills, you have the marketing skills. How do you use all these skills together to create the person you are 
and Alex Ranella, how do you use, especially the as we've been getting to know about your artistry background and you hit on your marketing background, but how do you also use those skills and entrepreneurial skills to make the person you are today, Alex? Yeah, so I kind of just continue to keep looking, you know, every few months at how the market's changing, you know, how art's being applied in public spaces and gallery settings, how it's being sold for better or worse, you know, um, you know, at a micro and macro scale across the country and kind of, you know, um, making, you know, renditions of my, uh, my business model to kind of respond to that. Um, and I'm kind of, you know, injecting and imbuing some of that into the going places, um, you know, model as well in terms of how yeah. we reach out to other people and how we create sustainable opportunities for them too. Look at that. And like I said, that's what makes the original, like I said, the first <laughs> word brought up the brand of Alex Ranello, and it's just showing the risks you take the uh, being very cognizant and aware and being woke around what your surroundings as well. And just a few more things before we switch into uh, other topics. I was just wondering what are some of the other challenges um, whether the, you have an artist has faced or the going or going places has faced um, in recent times and how have you been able to overcome those obstacles that haven't been mentioned already? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of an everyday occurrence, you know, it's um, it's, you know, first of all, for some people, for some of the artists that are, you know, at really early stages coming out of school or just don't have the confidence in themselves to get going um, or get kickstarted. It's just kind of recognizing that it is a gig economy and that you're fighting for every day. Um, you're not guaranteed a nine to five, you know, there's no health insurance. There's no guarantees of, you know, the modern, you know, the everyday worker, the average Joe um, going to work. So it's understanding that you need to have that focus every single day from six in the morning to 10 o'clock at night and just making it your lifestyle, not really thinking about it as your job, as your lifestyle. And as soon as you can kind of reconcile that um, it's, you know, it's all, it's all downhill from there. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people in my close circle are, you know, kind of um, they've already been kind of living that, um, that mantra and noticing that. And I think that, I think for any artists coming up now, my biggest, my biggest, um, my biggest, piece of advice is really, really, um, embed yourself in the community, you know, uh, make peace with as many people as you can. Not everybody's going to like you, but really try to, you know, um, expand your community as far as possible because, um, you can't do it alone. Can't do it alone. And it's rewarding in the long run. Don't think of your, don't think of what's best for you today and tomorrow. Think what's best for you 30 years from now as well. Dude, you're giving me some great sound bites, Alex. <laughs> And for someone who also is involved with a career that involves a lot of freelance work, crazy hours to create art, to entertain, inspire and inform audiences, I know exactly what you mean. And especially in both my career paths as a podcaster and production in, you know, working on sets and um, looking at various people, you I, you hit the nail on the head is you have to really want it. And even when it the odds are stacked against you, they're really not. If you really push, you really take the time to figure out how to take these methods. And again, just going back to the Mark Marin podcast, just hearing the various ideas I've heard of people making it, it just assures more that you really can do your passion, whether it's creating art or content and make money off it. And, you know, obviously some people were born in different places. Some got through nepotism. And then you've heard some people went from homeless, literal rags to riches, but 
I think really emphasize on being yourself and someone will notice there are opportunities out there. Even in this pandemic, there was still ways to, to break through and coming out of it. There are more ways. And thank you, Alex, honestly, for just assuring that to push. <laughs> I, that I, I wish everybody that takes my path, you know, um, I wish them all the best of luck. It's like I said, it's arduous, you know, it's difficult. There's dark days, there's, there's bright days, but it's so tremendously rewarding. I wake up every morning with a great sense of responsibility, um, for things in my life and I, that other people may not have. And I just, I just value every day. So I want to, you know, pass it along with everybody else listening and you as well, Matt. That means a lot, man. And I got your back for this. I'm in your corner the whole way. Please let me know when that day comes, when you book a date for the Bridgeport, for the Bridgeport Art Gallery. As long as I'm free, I'll be there. In fact, that's yes, where sir. I'm getting my second COVID vaccine this week. <laughs> so I know Bridgeport very well. So, and that was just a great transition. Love learning about your artistry and the person you are, Alex. Let's talk about some sports because I know you're a huge sports fan. And, uh, oh, yeah. Let's show that side of you. So sure. where do I start? Let's start with the baseball and then um, we'll hit on the football and basketball because I know you're huge sports with those. So, Alex, for people who don't know, Alex is mainly a L.A. sports fan, with the exception of his football team is the Los Angeles Raiders. But I'm in <laughs> California and yep. I'm really excited to talk about that. Well, let's talk about um baseball first obviously wearing the hat how you feel about your dodgers <laughs> they won the world series last year um yep. you know there's a crazy year they're coming back hot with trevor bauer in they've created this rivalry with the san diego padres which is helping baseball get some assurance it really needs and yep. um how you feeling about your team right now yeah man um it's pretty early, you know, it's, you know, it's, I feel like we're kind of par for the course 17 to 13 on the, on, you know, on the year thus far, um, you know, it's a long season and, um, um, you know, I'm looking at the, you know, I'm looking at the, uh, the giants at the top of the division and kind of, you know, where we're going. Um, I'm a little concerned, you know, with Mookie's little, you know, knickknack injuries and mm -hmm. just kind of keeping an eye on that and kind of managing him day to day with, you know, Dave Roberts and whatnot, um, with, with his staff, but, um, I'm looking – the only disappointment I've had thus far, you know, in this early season is um, Corey Seager because actually going in, I, I you know, into the season after an amazing uh, World Series run with the against the Rays, I had him, um, you know, kind of taking that next step. I, I think it's his sixth year now in the league. Yep. Yeah. And, I, you know, he's only hitting 250 for the year. You know, he's, he's kind, of a, kind of a slow start, but I'm looking for him to take the next step towards, you know, possibly, you know, NL play of the year, kind of like Bellinger did the year before. So mm, Corey Seager and yeah, uh, uh, I mean, really, he's an underrated power hitter. Obviously, his for content insanely great fielder. I could see why. Why not? So also just hitting on that, too, with the World Series. How did you feel? What was it like? Where were you <laughs> the, the, during that final out seeing the Dodgers first World Series in 30 years? And in a COVID year, too, of all the emotions. Uh, talk to me about when they won the World Series and uh, what were you feeling and where were you when this happened? <laughs> I was sitting tragically in despair at the edge of my seat at home um, mm -hmm. with a couple of beers by my side, just kind of waiting. And after that debacle, I think it was game five when they gave up the game winning run. Yeah. In the walk-off scenario, I just fell to my knees. Like I just been struck by lightning. I couldn't believe it. And I was just like, this is the Dodgers, man. They're going to break my heart again. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. But no, they, they stuck it out. And 
um, you know, they, they pulled it through. I think, you know, Kershaw kind of had that flashpoint in his career where he really stepped over the top and uh, took care of business. Um, my only nice concern, to see him finally win it too. Yeah, man. He, he's been thrown with so much of that, um, you know, animosity and, and uh, you know, and so much, you know, criticism, you know, rightfully so for better or worse, kind of like Peyton Manning did in his, you know, postseason mm-hmm. career of just not getting over the hump and being the best at his position for so long. But uh, I was really happy for him. And uh, I think the only thing moving forward is really bolstering, you know, some of that, you know, that relieving pitching and just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, really, really, you know, having the guys and the, you know, the troops to really back him up, you know, in another postseason run this year. Yeah, I see why not. And as you said, a competitive, it is April, very competitive. And we mentioned the Dodgers and Padres rivalry. Now, as a Dodgers fan, do you welcome it? Do you think it's going to be a I love fun? it, man. You do love it. I love it, man. You got it. You know, rivalries aren't predicated on, I mean, they're predicated on history, but there's no reason they can't start. You know, they can't pop up in the nick of time. I mean, we saw the Cavs Warriors and how successful that was. Yeah, right. Oh, that, you know, rent, you know, how that brought in so much of viewership and stuff amongst, you know, fans and whatnot. So I, I always, uh, I always enjoy it. I love new storylines. I love new headlines and uh, yeah, I think it's great. Look at that. And uh, how you like it? Uh, Bauer, you happy with the pickup? You don't mind his, uh, do you mind his pitching with one eye sometimes and his charismatic <laughs> attitude? How you like Bauer on your squad? Well, he's Hollywood. That's for sure, man. Um, <laughs> I, I think he fits right into the culture. I think as long as Dave, you know, Dave Roberts can trust him, you know, late in games and not get him over the, you know, too far, you know, too late in the games with, you know, too many pitches on that arm. Um, I'm not a big fan of the proposition of, you know, today's game where, you know, pitchers are, you know, pitching every third, fourth night, but you know, it's, it's, it's the way it is that, you know, these days they're getting a lot of money and they want to, you know, they want to protect their assets like any other business. So I understand it, but long story short, I, I'm been tremendously impressed with him and uh, look forward to how he handles the rest of the season. Those damn analytics, Alex, but (laughs) like you said, can't avoid him anymore so somehow embrace it so let's talk football now las vegas raiders fan (laughs) but i mean first like i said when i met you were oakland raiders fan before we just get into um oakland baby the season is it always the oakland raiders to you do you were you sad to see them uh, move out of oakland again or are you excited with their Death Star-looking stadium that's going to have people <laughs> now? And, uh, yep. you know, the, the Davis family just doing what they can to make us laugh and try and, and now having Gruden. But before we get into this current Raiders, what did you think of the move to Vegas? I mean, I understood it from a business standpoint. Um, you know, it's something that Mark Davis had had in the works for, for years, um, trying to get out of Oakland and, you know, the turf – you know, with the Oakland athletics that, you know, it wasn't serving anybody better there. Um, right. <laughs> um, you know, I understand it from a business standpoint, but it, it's, it's tough swallowing, you know, what you, what you miss from the culture. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows anything about Oakland, but those are, those are tough gritty fans, man. They, they, oh, love yeah. that team, they bleed silver and black. Um, I've bled silver and black since I was a kid. I grew up with those Tim Bright, Tim Brown, Jerry Rice, Rich Gannon teams. Yeah. Oh, two, you know, the O two, um, 
uh, the, the 01 Super Bowl team that went, you know, went against Tampa, you yep. know, Green's nemesis and so on and so forth. So I miss that tough grit and I feel like they're going to lose some of that culture in the locker room moving forward. But I understand it from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. I hope you're planning to make a trip out there. You have to now with the <laughs> people out there. Do you think you'll see yourself within whether this year or within a few years to see the new place? Yeah, man. Um, it's funny you mentioned it. My first game, actually, my first NFL game of my life was last year um, down at MetLife in Jersey, um, seeing the Jets Raiders. And of mm-hmm. course, they laid an egg on an early 11 o'clock start uh, here oh. on the East Coast. So they didn't look too hot. Uh, but the whole the whole uh, stadium was Raiders fans, diehard Raiders fans traveling as they do. So <laughs> I was very pleasantly surprised and uh, reassured that if I do go out West, that they're going to be there too. So I hope that things can return to normalcy and uh, get to see a game for myself in that brand new freaking stadium, man. Yeah. And as you mentioned, and it's true, probably the hardest hitting, most passionate football fans is those Raider fans. And from all the places they've had to move and, and stuff like that, it was also, they were once an LA Raiders team and won a Super Bowl in LA too. And, uh, it's uh, Listen, man, you got to You got to be a devoted fan. If you're going to watch hot garbage for 18 years, trust me. <laughs> I, and that's why I really feel for those fans in Oakland, man. It's like, they just got crapped on from 2002 to 2016. And as soon as yeah. they had a 12 and four season and they look like they were on the bright path with, were on the right path with Jack Del Rio. Um, of course they get up and move. It's like, damn, man, that's, that's, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> oh my goodness. And uh, now focusing on, the, this Raiders team, so many things. Last year, they were 8-8. Eight and eight. You know, they did make a little bit of a push. Did you think anything could happen? Yeah. But came up a little short. You know, now we have full year. Now they're full year. Nah, excuse me. Now their <laughs> first year with fans, they made some huge acquisitions. You get Kenyon Drake um, to be maybe one to punch with. Uh, Jacoby Jones, you have uh, John Brown, who I think is what, one of the most underrated receivers he really made a push for Buffalo last season. You have Simon Thomas coming and Matt Dickerson on the pass rush. How do you feel about this Raiders team? And you, do you like your first round draft pick? You know, Alex Leatherwood, the offensive tackle from Bama. Um, hopefully getting some help for uh, Derek Carr. How you feeling yeah. about this Raiders team and Gruden? Well, man, I feel bad for Alex Leatherwood because he's kind of thrusted into a, a no win situation, man. It, you know, being the 17th or all pick is no, is no slouch. And uh, if you're going to protect Eric Carr, you better, you better be good. It's tough, man. When you, when you lose Gabe Jackson and uh, mm-hmm. Rodney Hudson on that, on that line. And for the record, they've been a top five offensive line for the past five, six years now, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And the numbers would probably, you know, back me up on that, but um yeah, no, he's he's going to have to fill in and and you know learn the ropes on the right side of the ball. Um, I, I like I, I think that their offense is going to continue to keep clicking. I like Carr. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not in love with Carr, but uh, you know I, I think he's he's the guy for the foreseeable future. And um, yeah, no, I mean I like I like their weapons. I love Josh Jacobs. I like Jalen Richard. I like a lot of the a lot of the schematic things that we can run in the backfield. Um, and I know how Gruden has to knows how to coach offense, but man, it's just it's hard to beat anybody when you're when you're in shootouts and you can't stop a nosebleed in that secondary. And mm-hmm. they still haven't addressed the corner situation. I like the safety that they uh, drafted in the second round, Trevon Mooring, um, out of TCU. And I like uh, yeah. 
you know, I, I like Malcolm Kunse and, uh, from Buffalo as well at the defensive end, but um, it's going to be tough with that secondary. I, I'd like to see how far of a next step Max Crosby and Cleveland Farrell take on that, for, on that front line as well, because that front four has to get pressure on Mahomes and Justin Herbert for that matter, if they're going to make any moves. Yeah, and looking at your um, draft, mainly f- emphasized defense. Looks like out of eight picks, they only picked two offensive positions. And, uh, you know, I think that was also, as you mentioned, trying to get that other corner to in, in the secondary to add on to, you know, a very, very, as you mentioned, you have the Chiefs in your division. You also have a rising Chargers team. Yep. And the Broncos are questionable, but you uh, really need to make that push for that. But um, do you still feel... You know, there's still a lot of time left until those OTAs and the season getting ready. Do you feel they'll address that problem? And I know the in the GM and what's his name? Excuse me, Mike Mayock. Yeah, Mike Mayock. Yep. Who's had been a his ad is ups and downs, but you know, again, made a big push at the end. How do you feel about um, the missing links and getting them? Well, it's tough, man, because I, I haven't really seen Mike Mayock being able to you know, orchestrate things from a GM perspective in, you know, trade and off season acquisitions as much as I had hoped to, because he's been so hamstrung and bound by the hundred million dollar man in Gruden. And Mm -hmm. when I thought that they came together, when they, you know, kind of co-aligned and came to Oakland a few years ago, I thought that Mayock was going to have sole responsibility of the draft. And that just hasn't been the case. And it's kind of showed itself, um, you know, whiffing on all these picks when they traded Amari Cooper and Cleo Mack for all those mm-hmm. picks. And, you know, at a certain point, um, you know, uh, you know, they're going to pay the price for it. And it's already kind of shown itself, um, you know, with some of the hitter, you know, some of the guys that they've missed um, in the draft with the secondary. So I think that Mayock's going to have to put a more central centralized focus on, um, you know, paying top dollar for some of those guys in the secondary and the, you know, uh, or just a veteran leadership type of corner, you know, maybe try to get mm-hmm. Richard Sherman from San Francisco. He's still out on the market yeah. as far as I know, um, you know, get, get a veteran presence. that can kind of command the room um, with those, with those DBs. And to go a long way. And who doesn't want to play in that cool stadium in Vegas <laughs> now, Last point with this. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say, Alex. We all know the big news into the draft was not the draft itself, but Aaron Rodgers announcing his disdain for the Green Bay Packers. And it's been rumored that one of the places he would like to go to is your team in the Las Vegas Raiders. Yep. Are you open to that? Would you be down to, um, you know, having Rodgers, you really, the MVP, you really could be a top NFC team right away. With going off that eight and eight record, do yep. you think um, would you be open to that changing everything, the whole plan for Rodgers once and for all? Would you like to rock that Rodgers jersey? And do you <laughs> think there is a good chance that he can make it? I know also Denver is a possibility too. Well, that well, that's the thing. I mean, it's 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 a matter of keeping Denver you know at bay from acquiring him because if if you're if you're playing against Mahomes, Herbert, and you know, Rogers twice a year, you're doomed. Um, you're, you're, much, you're buried in my, my opinion. I mean, look, I, and this may just be blindful, you know, willfully blind optimism as a Raiders fan, but you know, you, you got to see a real glimmer of hope with them beating Kansas city, you know, in, yeah, in only last lost. year and going down to the wire on the last possession in the, in the game in Vegas on a Sunday night last year. Um, I think we all have, I think we have the tools and all the mechanisms offensively to get it done and really become a playoff caliber team. But um, I would be more than willing to have Rogers on because I think what, 
I, and I think the catalyst, I think what really showed itself last season was, 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 was Brady going to Tampa. Yeah. Everybody, including Matt Light, the, uh, uh, the GM uh, down in Tampa, going all in on him, you know, basically <laughs> not even looking, looking back, not looking at the year, you know, the year afterward ahead and basically saying, you know, we, we got one year to run, to do it. And I think a lot of the NFL with, with all the injuries involved that, a lot of these teams, especially like, you know, the B list cities and a lot of the non-major markets like New York and LA they're you know, they're desperate for, you know, kind of a three-year window gap to really right. make a move. And you're seeing it with Arizona and all the acquisitions and all their, you know, every, everything they're throwing at Kyler Murray to really bolster him. I think a lot of these, um, you know, second tier teams are really kind of following the same model where they're basically going all in for two or three years um, with some of their acquisitions just to really have a shot. Yeah, and I mean, well, <laughs> it's working. It's working. It's working. I mean, in other sports too, and uh, it, it's funny. The, the the league's on pause to see what they're doing with Rodgers. I per, I shouldn't say that. I I was gonna say like, is he really gonna leave Green Bay? And you know what? Yeah, he. I mean, he doesn't really have much to prove on a legacy standpoint. I really think the second, if you get that second Super Bowl, he's automatically one of the greats to ever do it. If he cares enough, but. You know, obviously doing his thing with Jeopardy and uh, having so many other interests. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Rogers was like, "Yeah, I just want to do other things." And I've I heard him. Well, I'm sorry, you didn't hear that. What'd you say? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say it depends on his aim because, like you said, a lot of quarterbacks have won one Super Bowl, man. You know, for better or worse, and it just depends on does he want to be in Brady's you know discussion, his conversation with you know with uh, with with uh, with with Elway and. you know, and, and, and Montana and those guys, yep. some of the greats of all time, or does he want to stay, you know, in the breeze discussion with, with um, you know, with, with a lot of other quarterbacks who have won, you know, one Super Bowl. I don't mean to, you know, pick on breeze, but that's just a, you know, just a yeah. case example. No, and, you're I, and, exactly and, right. and, and for me, you know, what, what bothers me is that I can see, I can see the argument from both sides, from, from Roger's perspective and from the organization's perspective, because they've always been a legacy organization. They're always drafting for the future. You know, they're trying to stay slow mm-hmm. and steady to win the race. They've always been a constant contender as long as they've had Rogers, you know, minus the, the, the major shoulder soldier. Wow. Shoulder surgery yes. that he had uh, five, six years ago. So I, you know, it, I don't really buy into the belief that they haven't given him all the right necessary necessary weapons and pieces to surround him to really, you know, make him successful. Um, I think at a certain point, it just takes responsibility and ownership to say, Hey, I'm one in four in NFC championship games. What can I do better to close the deal? Because all year long, we hear, we heard that, all right, he's finally got a home NFC championship game. And what did he do with it? He let Brady come to town and they, you know, it was close until the end, but he had the ball down the stretch and, and he, they just couldn't convert. And, you know, LaFleur opted to take the field goal. I know it was controversial, but um, you know, at a certain point, it just means that. So something's gotta, something's gotta change with Rogers, you know, some there's gotta be a certain level of accountability and responsibility. And I think he needs kind of that reflective period right now. And I think you made a big point with Brady. If we really build around this guy, we could still win, and he can. Rodgers is, seven, is um, I think, six years younger than him and still has that much time, too. <laughs> and I think, what, Brady's won four Super Bowls past 35. And um, Rodgers has just as much talent to do that. And even 
you know, I think Brady's the best winner, but on pure talent, Rodgers is a better quarterback on pure talent. He knows how to be mobile. I mean, we've seen he has an arm, an accurate arm, and far too. And yeah, I think if there's a team who will do that, and I think um, your crazy head coach at Gruden would take that challenge on, he could totally get that final Super Bowl. If not, too, I also feel like he'll just be a celebrity with his, you know, famous fiance too, and be a Jeopardy host, which I don't know if you saw, I thought he was great in it. And, I thought um, he was, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to slight the, the great Alex Trebek. Oh, of course. All because he brought an amazing, lively energy that to TV that you just, you can't duplicate if you're not in you TV. Can't. And I know, you know, that as, you know, a content creator yourself. So I think it, you know, it just, I don't know, man. I just, I, I want my quarterback to be all in. It's such a short shelf life as an athlete. And I want you to be all in until the fat lady sings. Yeah. And you know, car's been there a while now and he has to do it once and for all. We've seen, you know, made that real big push a few years ago till until he got hurt. So why not? Why not? And it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun time. Indeed. <laughs> now, he wants this guy. He wants his quarterback. And I think Rogers, him and Rogers would be, it would be a mutual relationship. It would be uh, one of, you know, built on respect and, and um, you know, high hopes because I think, I think, and I don't mean to get off too much off subject, but um, I encourage it, man. <laughs> <laughs> riffing for a minute. It's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think they kind of caught him by surprise hiring LaFleur, you know, getting that call from the GM um, just, you know, not even really inquiring with him the same way Russell Wilson's had been, had issues with Seattle um, with the front office and, and so on and so forth, you know, not really, you know, responding to the, you know, the wishes and demands of um, Rogers to an extent about the hiring it, they, they, that, that rubs guys the wrong way. They don't forget that. And I think that having, you know, a coach like Gruden is, would be, immensely you know immensely helpful for rogers to kind of have a nice great run before he's done yeah and he's got the towel to do it and it's going to be quite the game to see so let's transition to basketball really quick mm-hmm. alex you are the biggest <laughs> absolute biggest los angeles laker fan <laughs> i know and i know lots of la laker fans from la and you take the um and you take the crown for that. And again, before we get to the current um, Lakers team and what they've been up to, talk to me how you be your Lakers fandom. I really think that defines you. Often see you rocking throwback Lakers jerseys. Talk to me about your fandom with the Lakers in particular. It seems yeah. like a special aspect of you. So we'd love to hear more about it. Sure, man. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of the basis ethos of kind of going back to that California brand with my artwork and so on and so forth. It was kind of the systemic approach that I took as a kid. Like mm-hmm. I grew up with Kobe and Shaq, love them to death, love those yep. teams with Derek, you know, Derek Fisher and Rick Fox and Robert Ory, Brian Shaw, you know, the whole cast and crew with Phil Jackson and oh, yeah. Frank Hamblin, Jim Clemens. I could go on and on with that freaking uh, with that roster, man. But um, yeah, it was, it was a great run. It was a great way to kind of, you know, uh, grow up learning about basketball. You know, I played it in high school, um, played in junior high, uh, you know, loved it, you know, from, from a peripheral standpoint in college as well and continue to love it. Um, yeah, it's, it's always been a profound part of my life. You know, I've kind of, when, when Kobe passed away, it was, it was such a hard thing for me to kind of, you know, swallow and conceptualize. And it was really hard to watch basketball for the, for the years after, um, up until now, because, you know, I mean, we're, 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 
we're in our mid twenties. We we grew up with Kobe. I mean, yeah, we grew up with AI. We grew Back up with right Vince there, Carter. one of the many was Shaq and Kobe. <laughs> right, we grew up with you know AI and T Mac and Vince Carter, all those guys, man. So it's a little different. It's a good time, man. We have with you know with the with these new cats, like with you know even even with the guys who have been in the league, like Katie and Harden. It's not it's not the guys we grew up with from a childhood. So it's it was hard for me to kind of reconcile that, but I love the game now still. Um, they, these guys have never been. I mean, the NBA has never been a more skilled league in its in in its entirety and its history. Yeah, it's something uh, else, love, huh? I love the international flair. Um, <laughs> players I really love, you know, right now that I follow outside of the Lakers. Like I love, I love Lillard. I love Damian Lillard. Um, oh yeah, it's the clutchest he, player we got. Man, he's a, he's he is one he is one baller, dude. He's he's unbelievable. I mean, he's a fun I rapper just, too. Yeah. He's he's a culture setter, man. You know, he's he's one of those guys you want to rally around and believe in. Um I love Jokic. Uh I really oh, love yeah. Jokic from a skill uh standpoint. He's really just like a big fundamental. He's kind of a reincarnation of Timmy D. Um yeah. you know, in my opinion. Um with a great really, shot too. Yeah. He could score. Yeah, he's got a little Dirk in him, he's got a little Tim Duncan. Um I like Luca, but he's got some growing up to do, especially from a leadership standpoint, <laughs> three-point shooting, free-throw shooting. But, uh, yeah, no, the I, I think the league's never been in a better place from an entertainment standpoint. Um, but my Lakers this year, man, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's different, man. Injuries have kind of riddled us. Um, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at sitting at the five seed right now, you know, a game yep. back out of the seven seed. It's it's a slippery slope that we're kind of running on down the stretch here. And I think it's a really critical time to get some reps in with, you know, A D and Drummond and uh and and LeBron back on the floor healthy together. You know, they're gonna need those reps. It's kind of the same problem that, you know, that Brooklyn's gonna have going in, you know, into the playoffs in short order. So we'll see. That's what I wanted to ask, Alex, as a hardcore basketball fan. Now, are we in an era now we've seen whether it's injuries, load management, which you're not allowed to say in the press, the NBA center, you'll get fined, <laughs> break that stigma. You know, do you feel that it's just a matter about getting in the playoffs and then you go from there? Is it truly we're at the point where we're just like, fuck the regular season. As long as we're in, we're in. But, you know, you have now the playing games, too. So really, you're not secure until you get to the sixth spot. You don't want to play around with that. Do you feel that that's good? That's the trend at the moment. And, you know, like you mentioned, the Lakers are in the fifth seed, but right behind them is the Mavs. Then you have the Blazers right there. And then the Warriors have been uh, surprising with Allen Grizzlies and Spurs. Do you feel, um, do you feel this is just the way it's going to be? And do you like it or dislike it? And we know LeBron said, "Who can LeBron just tweeted yesterday, or something like you know, whoever came up with this is a stupid idea." Um, well, he's but, flip floppy. He's 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 flipping on everything. I don't trust what he puts out. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Pete, he said a few years ago that they this is something they should do. I've just overheard the radio, and then he just went back to it because he might be affected from it. So, right. Um, right. What do you think about this in this interesting playoff bracket system? Um, well, it's, you know, it's a TV experiment. It's, it's all about money. Adam Silver's made yeah. it very clear since he took office off of Stern, um, you know, God rest his soul as well, um, oh, yeah. that, you know, they were going to, it was going to be a, a marketing endeavor for the foreseeable future. And these guys, all these guys have their own following, their own brands, their own shoe deals. So I understand it from an individual standpoint, 
as well as a collective standpoint from the NBA um, shareholders perspective about, you know, putting these play-ins into, into, um, into actuality. But I just think it's so stupid. It's like you've had 72 plus games to prove your, your positioning in the playoffs. I don't think you need to re you don't need to reprove it again. Um, right. I think it's a slight to the teams that did make it. Um, I think it's unfair to the teams that are sitting on the peripheries of the, of the playoff uh, picture. And um I'm not a huge fan of the proposition. Now, with that being said, um, I think there's, I think there's great uh, potential to it. You know, you get to see some new faces in, in contention, like you know, New Orleans and and um, the Grizzlies is interesting to see with what John the Grizzlies won. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> he did get ejected the other night. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. I do like Jaws as well. Um, his intangibles are great, but he's got some maturing to do. But yeah, I mean, we'll. we'll <laughs> I don't know, man. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I think when you talk about home court advantage, um, it's, you know, it's obviously mitigated with no fans uh, in the stands. So I think that the, the temporal situation with um, home court advantage being a top four seed in the conferences, I think that's going to be mitigated until fans kind of re-enter the picture. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, the mentality will change. Uh, when when fans get it back in the stands to people taking the regular season more seriously. But there is a lot of honor to taking the regular season very seriously. I mean, even if you don't believe in Utah and Denver um, and Phoenix, you know, getting those reps and developing continuity between the young guys and the veterans in the locker room, that's that's huge for those teams if they want to make a big push. And, you know, why not for it? And it, it it's just any way to create that spark and um... – I mean, I know you don't want to hear this, but there could if say that there's a play in situation and the Lakers fall, you could still have a Warriors Lakers play one game playoff. That would be insane. I'm sure you'd get the heart out with LeBron. And um <laughs> but I think that that's some other crazy possibilities that could come out of it. Yeah, and I think that's what I, I think that's where a lot of the anger and frustration from LeBron's coming from. I don't think it's coming from the original stance he took back at the beginning of the year under the presumptions of an 82 game season. Um, I think he's more looking at the realities of having, you know, a broken team, you know, developing continuity on the fly. This is not the same team that won the championship a year ago. You know, Rondo's yeah. gone, a lot of moving parts, a lot of three and D guys new to that roster. Um, you know, Wesley Matthews, Marcus All, so on and so forth. So it's it, it's not the same team. And and, it, and I think that it kind of terrifies him that the season could be predicated on, um, you know, a one-game finality between him and the Warriors. And knowing how seasoned and how much of an assassin Steph is and having that continuity with Kerr and, and Draymond and all those guys on the roster, I think it's a little threatening to teams that have something to lose, you know? Oh, yeah. Now, do you feel – the Lakers can make a push despite all these issues. We have a few weeks to go. Um, yeah, as we were actually, as this is um, being recorded, there's only one more, two more weeks of the season after that. Right. Um, do you think that they can make another deep run, get that defend, defend that championship? LeBron getting that fifth ring. Oh man. <laughs> How do you feel about that? About the Lakers playoff chances? I mean, yeah, I. Whenever you have LeBron, you got a great shot, and right. um, 
you know, it, it's, it, it's cliche at this point, but it's, but it still reigns true. Um, I think there's so much uncertainty at the top with uh, Utah and Phoenix and Denver. We just don't know um, what they're going to bring. I mean, Jamal Murray being out for the season, that's huge. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and yeah. Gobert, are they going to take the next step? I think there's a lot of vulnerability with the top seeds. So I don't doubt that um, LA can make a play, you know, the deep playoff push and, and return to where they were a year ago, but um, it's going to take continuity. It's going to take health. Um, it's going to take great situational basketball with Vogel and the rotation um, and figuring out what his guys can bring to the table uh, at the right time. And, you know, and, and, and figure out, figuring out the rotation and who's, who's hot, you know, mm-hmm. if Kuzma gets on a run or, you know, Taylor and Horton Tucker, if they, if they start putting out of their mind, you know, it's like, you may have to shake up that roster. Yeah. This is the deciding factor. And if LeBron wants to hit that, uh, if he wants to get some momentum for space jam too, this is a good time. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> excited for that. I can't wait to see that movie then. <laughs> Me too, bro. It's going to be fun. And just for selfish regions, how about my Knicks, Alex? My <laughs> team has the same records. Up. My team has the same record as your team as we're recording. They're playing tomorrow night, Knicks-Lakers. Yeah. How about that with the uh, – just yeah, man, you know, you know, it's been a great time. It's been – it's funny how the – we're ending the pandemic and the Knicks are the best team in town, the most talked about. And we have the Brooklyn Nets, but right. they're just, how can you not be not? How can you not like this team? What they've proven? I mean, they were supposed to have the over under was 22 and a half. We're at 37. That's 15 plus. How about the Knicks, man? I just want to hear just as a basketball fan. How do you feel about the Knicks resurgence, the resurrection? Dude, let me tell you, man, I having the first winning season in seven, eight years, I cannot yeah. be happier for you guys. Like Thanks, it's such man. a great, such a great story. The roster, the way it's constructed, it's so New York. It's just tough, gritty. It's 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 selfless basketball. It's the way it was built back in the nineties. And oh yeah, that's what everyone's been saying. Nineties Knicks feel. Yeah, man. It's just they're tough, gritty guys that have things to prove. And I just love how the young guys have responded to Thibodeau because that was really the one. Oh, my God. That was the one huge question, you know, kind of over overarching this team going into the season. I mean, of course, no one had real, real serious expectations. I mean, I would safely say that um, going into the season. But um, but the way they've positively responded to, um, you know, his schematics and how he's uh, brought a new energy to the table. I just cannot be happier for Knicks fans. I mean, Julius Randle looks like another play. He looks like a new player, man. Yeah, he was on your team at one point. I'm, I'm, I don't mean to bring it up if it cringes <laughs> yeah. you. Let me know. But yeah. I mean, how about that? It's another one of Magic Johnson's fatal flaws as a GM, man. <laughs> and th- those jobs are so demanding. You can't have one foot in, one foot out, one foot out of that of uh, that that uh, that position in an operation. And I love Magic Johnson, but you just can't do it. It's it's been a tough stretch for him, but um, you know, still pulling through. But oh my God, Alex, this Knicks, it's been su- such an insane time. And that oh twelve twenty twelve twenty thirteen team which was another special team in my heart because I watched all those games, uh, deep playoff run. Uh, well, not deep. I mean, deep for us, but um, beating the Celtics, then running into Roy Hibbert ended it all. I remember watching that fatal game with two of my friends from school. We were wearing our Knicks jerseys and seeing the Roy Hibbert block. Um, it's, it's nightmares. And we really went downhill from there. I mean, this the disgusting, absolutely disgusting um the absolutely disgust sorry the disgusting head coaches we had from <laughs> Derek Fisher 
to Fizdale, to Jeff Hordesack, to Kurt Rambis, and then Tom Thibodeau as the one to have us play defense, to have us play in team basketball. It makes me feel like when you watch the team, it feels like you're watching a a college, like a great college team, because you see so many passings, so much passing. The the threes are beautiful. I mean, look at what Emmanuel quickly is turning into and R.J. Barrett, people ready to throw him out of town. Kevin Knox can't go out of town. I don't mind that. But um, <laughs> Julius, obviously, like you said, Julius Radel turning it to a top 15 player. Alfred he has Payton. to be. You were saying? Alfred Payton, too. Alfred, yes, Alfred Payton is with their yeah. shortages. D Rose. D Rose oh, turning know, back man. the class. Nerlens Noel. He yep. just thought he was washed up from Denver. And, you know, we sadly lost Mitch Robinson, but. um. I'm just like how many blocks he's getting and just, Oh my God. It's energy, man. Just good energy. That's what, that's what, you know, Thibodeau is imbued in these young guys. It's just, it's the belief that it's a collective. It's, it's one, you know, it's one, one mission, one opportunity, one goal. And, and the fact that he's been able to get these guys impressionable and bought in has just been unbelievable. And the big thing, I really think they can really win a first round the way they've been playing and this, you know, 12 for the last 13 against really good teams from the Mavs. And then, you know, um, beating the Mavs, beating Grizzlies. the Grizzlies, beating the Hawks, who we've been fighting with the playoffs, um, almost beating the Suns until Chris Paul went off. But, <laughs> I mean, it's what a time. And, you know, I've loved this team dearly. And it's 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 funny. The one soundbite, when the playoffs are clinched, there's just so many people saying the Knicks suck to me. It's just it's like I said, jokes on them, and it's 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 a great time. And now we'll, you really wish they could keep this team going into next year. <laughs> and we always thought about who's going to be the one to lead it. And yep. you know, the summer eighteen or nineteen, with KD and Kyrie decided to go to Brooklyn, and we signed Julius Randle. I remember everyone saying, "Oh, this is our big signing, huh?" And then, yeah, it was. He deserves to be anointed that and. We'll see what the future brings, bringing that one. Maybe need, we may still need that one more asset, that star. But, um, you know, our, te- our team's really growing, especially the young guys in RJ and, and quick. So it always felt, you know, it always felt with the Knicks that they always had the horses before the carriage or vice versa. Pardon the expression. But <laughs> I felt like they were always kind of saying, you know, we, we you know, trust the process. We got, you know. You know, we, we, we got the cap space, we got the foundation. It's like, but they never had it. And now they're actually embodying the groundwork uh, put in place kind of like, you know, the, uh, you know, like the, um, like the Brooklyn Nets did last year and the mm-hmm. Warriors before they got KD. Um, you know, a lot of these teams, before, when they were on the doorstep to take the next step, um, they're actually doing it. And I think that's what's so exciting about the Knicks and their potentiality, you know? Notice how people are complaining about Dolan for the past four months. That's, <laughs> he's getting a pass for now, man, but he's, <laughs> he's still reprehensible in my opinion. Very much. You're very, you're, you're right. You're definitely right with that. And stay quiet as this team has been shooting up. I see Stephen A psyched for the first time about the Knicks and um, yeah, we're playing with true house money and uh, Hey man, you never know. 2023 Zion Williamson's a free agent with the Pelicans <laughs> really getting imploding. Maybe Lonzo Ball, he's a free agent this summer. Maybe he could be, you know, he yeah. could be the starting point guard and be have all and add more to his, you know, great in the assist department and defense. So 
What a time. And it's going to be a fun game tomorrow, though. You're a team for a spy team. And maybe we'll one day we'll get to see very soon a Knicks Lakers finals. You know, our only two finals wins are against your team. Yeah. And you did beat us uh, another time, too. So um, let's do it again. <laughs> I love it, man. Let's do it. <laughs> Yo. Oh, man, Alex, it's been so much fun talking around an hour and a half with you. There's just one last thing we have to do before we sign off. And I really hope you'll want to come back again, Alex, because you've been exactly what I hope for in a guest with just great stories and energy. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I can't wait to be back on the podcast. Oh, seriously. We definitely have to talk during the NBA playoffs, too bring Alex Young in and we'll go geek out on that stuff. I love Alex Young. Shout out to my man. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, we'll definitely get a basketball one in there. It's like as the playoffs progress and stuff. So love it. I end everything with the props questionnaire, the first appearance that is. Um, so it's a, from inside the actor studio. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but um, I'm just going to ask you 10 questions. They're not rapid, so you don't have to anything like that. But they're just 10 short but deep questions. And I'm sure you have a great things to say in this. So I'm excited to see what you, you're going to answer. So are you ready for the Prowse questionnaire, Alex? Fire away, my friend. All right. First fire away with that. <laughs> so <laughs> what's your favorite word? Traverse. Traverse. All right. Why traverse? I think it's got a lot of implications. It's open-ended. Um, I don't know. It's just uh, it's just an interesting word. I like it. <laughs> I like it, too. I like it, too. Good answer. <laughs> What's your least favorite word? No. Yeah. As, as in, yes, I, that, I agree with you. Don't yeah. let no put you down. No and can't. I'm mm-hmm. just saying can't, you know, I like, I love the word. I, I love, I love saying yet because it yet re you know, kind of reaffirms it changes your position. Like I'm not there yet. I'm not saying no. Mm-hmm. And hear that. Now this question is more of a fulfilling question, not a sexual question that some may assume, but this is more of a life fulfillment question. What turns you on in this world? Opportunity. Hmm. Great word. <laughs> what turns you off in this world? Just, just hate. Narrow-mindedness. You know, not willing to take in new information and learn. Because life is about learning, man. Life is suffering, and the more you can mitigate it and create, you know, create relationships with people and learn, um, that's the best way to resolve it. Amen to that. Couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? I love a cat's meow. <laughs> I'm a cat guy. I love cats, man. Oh, yeah, me too. I, it is a sweet. It is a sweet. Except when they yell at you. But besides oh, yeah. that. <laughs> They're moody. Enjoy that. <laughs> what sound or noise do you hate? I hate probably my sleep alarm. Yeah. The iPhone aisle, the iPhone alarm forever in our minds as a time for us to get annoyed. Yeah. I never liked that one. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite curse word? Probably shithead. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's the first one, actually. No one said that yet. Oh, shit. <laughs> good it's, it's phonetically good. I like it's got it's got a uh, yeah, it's got meaning to it. <laughs> you could probably sneak it in in a PG movie. <laughs> yeah. Or just being able to say like shut up, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what profession like un- <laughs> I hear you there. What profession <laughs> other than your own or the multiple ones that you partake in would you like to attempt? I mean, someday in the near future, because I'm reading and writing a lot, I would like to be, I would like to be like a sports journalist or a psychologist. One oh, you'd be awesome at those, both of them. Yeah, mutually exclusive, but yeah. Oh, I you I can't wait till those articles come out or stories. I'm <laughs> definitely going to read. What profession would you not like to do? Politics. <laughs> Tell me ever, about it. Ever, 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 ever. <laughs> that's that's assuring you know how can you you know if those for those people who do have a passion for it it's awesome but for me i'm just like man i could be nervous the rest of my life would yeah. i do this or that boy so i'm not i'm not someone who likes to telegraph utopian ideas i like to enact them and embody things i would like to do in my everyday life absolutely and you don't want to divide people if by choosing a side either you know I've never been of the mindset of telling people what to do. I'd rather people live individualistically as they would like to be as a sovereign individual. And that's just always been my baseline of, of fundamental belief. So damn straight right there, Alex. And my last question for today, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? I would like him to say, you did a good job down there. Beautiful. And you're definitely on your way for doing that, Alex. Alex, tell us one more time where we can find your work and the Going Places Artist Collective. So you can find us both mutually on Instagram um, as well as Facebook, uh, Going Places underscore Art Collective and on uh, Instagram as well. Um, my personal handle is abreniello on Instagram and Alexander, California on Facebook. All right. Excellent. Well, Alex, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? I want to wish everybody a great week and, uh, and go tackle life with everything you got. Go get it. That's what I'm talking about, Alex. Alex Rinello, thank, thank you so much for a great, for a great appearance. Thank you so much for a great time. You're the man. Love you, bro. And I can't wait to talk to you again for this. Thank you so much for a great appearance, my friend. And I will see you very, very soon. We have so much more to catch up and talk about. And you let me know once you book that um, gallery event in Bridgeport. I'll not only plug it here, but as long as I'm free, I'll be there to say what's (laughs) up. And, you know, if you're around this summer, too, we're both in this state. We'll love to... uh, figure out one somehow somewhere you've been in my house before so uh yeah man we, we could definitely figure something out i'll be in touch with that too well shake make- it up man hey thank you i want to i want to thank you for your time and your leadership on the podcast man and uh i appreciate you taking the time to reach out to me and talk it's been great 
my absolute pleasure, Alex. This is even better than I expected and uh, was very happy to do it. And it exceeded my expectation. So you're the man for a reason. So can't wait to do this again, my friend. And I'll talk to you really soon. You too, man. Take care. That's a great Alex, everybody. How could you not be a fan of Alex Ronelio after this? He's so kind. He's so generous. He is genuine. He's one of the realest dudes I've ever met. And I thank him for coming on the show. I just want to thank you, the greatest listeners and audience in the world, for tuning in and making this show possible. I love and appreciate you all very dearly. We have a great episode in store for Thursday. We're working around some scheduling. We do have a show on Thursday no matter what. It just depends on this guest or another guest. But besides that, it is going to be epic. It is going to be amazing. And you do not want to miss Thursday's episode. So surprise guest this Thursday. Could be one of our favorites coming back. It could be a new podcast that we recorded earlier. Regardless, I have a great show for you all this Thursday. And you do not want to miss it. You all have an incredible week. Make moves, take risks, do something special. I can't wait to see this world get better. Let's continue to socially distance and do the right thing. And let us make these big moves once and for all. My name is Matt Brown. I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. And I will see you this Thursday. Now go have a great week. We will check back in in a few days. All right, everybody. Peace.